XX Equals is a focused, user-centered innovation collective within Canadian Ford, and this is our podcast. Our aim is to close the gap between perception and reality when designing for women. So jump in and join us as we talk to some of the leaders, experts, and trailblazers in this space. Hello and welcome to our XX Equals podcast. My name is Merle Hall, and I am joined today by Adriana, who is the fabulous founder of Lilu. And um, I'm going to pass straight over to Adriana to tell us a little bit uh, more about yourself and your journey towards the founding of Lilu. Welcome, lovely to have you here with us. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's such a pleasure. Um, so yeah, I started Lilu uh, with the goal to make postpartum care a little easier for moms and we really started focusing on the breastfeeding and breast pumping space because uh, as many new moms will share I mean the nutrition of that uh, little one and precious infant that you brought into the world can become like the number one thing you're thinking about 24 7 um, for the first few days and like I mean throughout the first months of that baby's life right it's, it's super important and as a mom once told us when you are the sole provider of that baby's nutrition, it can be super stressful. Um, so with uh, with that in mind, we, we um, me and my team, um, or my, my co-founder, which I'll tell you a little bit more about in a little bit, we really thought about how can we use technology to make that transition into motherhood easier? Um, and when I looked around, I realized that technology had fallen behind quite a bit uh, and as a person that loves technology I'll, uh, I'll tell you a bit about my background but I really felt compelled to um, to do something because we have technology in our lives that makes everything easier from like you know like uh, our phones some, you know like electric vehicles we you know we send electric vehicles to space all these crazy things and yet for things about um, women's health um, some of these things seem to be stuck in the medieval ages. Um, but yeah, my background is in uh, mathematics with computer science. I did an undergrad uh, degree, um, just very theoretical, I would say. Uh, but what that allowed me um, was to, I think from a very early uh, age, um, I was always surrounded by these like great engineers, scientists, and I kind of didn't stop to reflect that uh, I was always one of the few women in the room. You know, when you're growing up, you don't think probably like twice about it. It's only as you start progressing in your career. So after undergrad, I worked for a little bit in fintech. Um, I was uh, super lucky that uh, I was able to hire some colleagues and friends into my team. And uh, we quickly became known in the floor that I was working at as like, we were the only team that were all like women developers uh so again there were just like little things in my life that i remember like i started slowly but surely realizing right like oh wow like <clears throat> there really aren't enough women in some of these uh, uh career paths and um i wasn't like really pausing to think what it would be to you know, like if i had to fast forward 10 to 15 minutes to 10 to 15 apologies if I had to fast forward 10 to 15 years into the future and to be like potentially a new mom and still having a really high um, paced and intense career, right? So what I started to realize is that women around me, when they were coming back from maternity leave, they were suffering in silence. Uh, everyone around us expected them to still, you know, be pulling like 
like 12 day uh, hour like work work days um, and just like everything they had to do is just you know they had to schedule all of their new um, responsibilities around work and work didn't stop um, so I remember not even pausing twice to think like oh my gosh like there's a lactation room in this floor I didn't even know what it, I, it had never occurred to me okay what do you do as a new mom you know like what do you do with that milk? How do you store it? The logistics of giving it to the child. Um, and so that left, uh, that sparked some curiosity in me. Uh, I decided to transition out of FinTech and I always loved the idea of how we can make physical products uh, be uh, much more interesting and helpful by connect, making them connected devices. At this time, it was the rise of like IoT. So I left to do a master's in product design. Uh, and coincidentally there, I had two professors that just had their first babies. One of them uh, is a fantastic engineer and designer, and she had a hard time like breast pumping. Uh, then the wife of like this great uh, eminence in robotics, and they had a really hard time with like um, breastfeeding and breast pumping for the child. And again, I just, once you know, and you start observing, you start noticing all these things. So um, I had, but one very specific idea on, on like, well, how can we make breast pumps work more efficiently, more comfortably, uh, make it less painful, um, and had this insight around breast massage. So Lilo was born actually with a first product already in mind, which was how can we automate breast massage so that every mom can use um, these massaging techniques that have been proven to help increase milk production. Um, and how can we make it easy so that you can incorporate, incorporate it into uh, every everyday life. Um, and that was the very beginning of Lilu, but in doing Lilu, I, you know, just really become so much more aware of different maternal health issues, women's health issues, and the need for us to have women innovating for women. So that's a bit, not even in a nutshell, but that's, uh, that's how Lilu came to be. No, but I mean, it's, it's brilliant to, to hear, Adriana, because I think, you know, I had my children in 2009 and 2010 and it was all manual pumps and there was no support and there was no education around how um, how to use them. You know, it was a painful and difficult process, um, which um, I you know nearly gave up on many, many occasions. And this is probably all stories that you've heard time and time and time again. And, um, you know, all of the reasons why this is such important work that we're actually seeing products that are specifically for women designed by women and those insights and, and those challenges actually threading their way through the whole product development process. Because I personally don't believe that one round of insight and one round of validation is going to develop the best product for, uh, in, in Lulu's case, a, a, a mum, because ultimately there's so many real life experiences that are lost throughout that process if you don't have a, a, you know, a truly diverse team in terms of who's feeding into that at every single point in time. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, and that's why for us, we started probably the first six, if not like almost 12 months of like Lulu's existence basically doing like user interviews, prototyping, design sprints, going back to like having moms wear it and like using it throughout their lives and, you know, getting feedback and like over and over and over again. So when I reflect on, it's been, it's been already 
a long journey for us, but like the beginning was only doing user research because it's so important. No, absolutely. And and tell us a little bit about how you became, you know, this this incredible entrepreneurial founder from doing your your product design masters to within the space of a few years setting up your own business. That's that's a huge step. What's what was it that sort of enabled you to do that? So I actually started really right after the master's and I, w- I had used the time while I was still a student to kind of start laying down the foundations. Um, I actually have been contacted recently by two or three people that are applying or doing the same master's I did. Um, and I, so it's it's helped me reflect a little bit on what were a couple of things that I did that were helpful. Um, I already had the idea for, I was open to the idea of starting a business right after the master's or joining a really early stage startup. Uh, So I had interned uh, in the summer in between the the two years of the master's program at a super tiny start lifestyle health focused startup in New York City. I think that kind of gave me um, like firsthand experience and seeing how like a small team operated. And uh, I learned a lot by seeing others. So I feel like I saw that I was like, well, if they can do it, so can I, right? Um, and during the last year uh, at school, I started to conceptualize what, again, this first product could look like. I started to combine a lot of the classes that I was taking and even auditing other classes that would help me uh, kind of build those first prototypes or things like that. So to give a very concrete example, um, I took an an iPhone app development class that, I mean, they didn't give me any credit for it, but it allowed me, you know, to like give myself a place to like, okay, if I wanted to prototype, you know, um, currently our first product, by the way, is not a connected device, but still we're, we're gonna work on, on on that but it allowed me to prototype okay how would an app for breastfeeding and breast milk tracking look like and work on that uh, i took an embedded systems class which is like just a mouthful i mean for just using like microcontrollers and putting them in like physical object it allowed me to prototype the first version actually of what the massage bra could look like so i actually kind of found a way to give myself some structure that i needed and uh, as soon as i was getting close to graduation, I actually started pitching the idea first in pitch competitions. I tell people, I mean, depending on where you are at the stage of your life, but I'm sure that depending on, for instance, at school, it's a great place because people are actually, you know, like uh, organizing pitch competitions. There's hackathons, right? Uh, that I always also tell people that want to get like very con- like quickly into prototyping or conceptualizing ideas. Doesn't matter what where you are, you can probably find a hackathon that you can join or you can build a super quick team uh, and like overnight or like, you know, in three nights, maybe have a really quick prototype. So I did a bunch of things like that. And that was kind of like, um, it gave me, uh, it started to give me exposure. It allowed me to meet different people. And more than anything, which was something that was really important, it allowed me to start getting feedback on the product, right? And the idea uh, and started to hear Oh, like I wish, right? That when I was breastfeeding or breast pumping, I, ha- I had had X or Y or Z. So starting to hear all of that, I I immediately realized that there was a need, um, that these concepts were resonating with people, and that people also felt really passionate. Like when I started to ask 
different women about their experience, um, people were more than ready to share, uh, you know, how they had wished they had different, all the things that they knew that they wish they had known that somebody had told them. So it was pretty, pretty helpful for me. I think, right, I was pretty lucky that I was a student at that point. But even if you're not, like, right, depending on where you are, talk, talk to people, find those places where you could receive, like, like find your potential user and get that feedback really early on before you even start building anything. And that would give you enough signals, right, to know if there's, like, something there, right, if people are willing to spend hours and hours to give you, you know, like, feedback maybe there's something there so dig deeper I I do think you're being super modest I have to say because we often meet you know ask our um, graduate intakes you know who join our business and and they often have an idea uh, you know which has been sort of their final year project and and part of their dissertation Um, but the reality of actually taking that idea and turning it into a business requires so much ambition and tenaciousness and dedication and sacrifice I believe as well that's actually so rare to hear people who have made it to the point that you have so you know how and I think everything that you've talked about is incredible and exactly right how did you then sort of set about did you bootstrap or did you get backing funding how did you kind of manage that side of things so in doing all of these pitch competitions, <laughs> some of them actually were for prize prizes and cash awards. So I started Lilu after uh, winning one award. Uh, I think the first one was like $40,000 and then I got another for $20,000, which was at that point enough to just uh, start prototyping and building prototypes. But definitely, I mean, I guess I, I'm glad uh, you mentioned it um, in terms of perseverance and tenaciousness as women we probably don't we don't you know we don't put ourselves out there uh, as much as we should um yeah I think I mean there's a bit of like my personalities like that that way but in general I do want to change that we should all be very proud of you know like things that we've accomplished and acknowledge that I mean it was a huge risk it's a huge risk you know um I was lucky that with that prize award we were able to uh, with my co-founder, right? We we decided, okay, what are our monthly expenses? Like, the, what's the minimum that we can like live, you know, with that will pay for like like his rent, like for my rent, you know, like. And then more than anything, we needed money to for materials. I mean, building a hardware startup is very cash intensive. Um, so I know we're gonna get to that, but I think one of the things that I, you know, if I could rewind time, is uh, maybe I would have gone out there and fundraised. Uh, a large amount before I even started building. Um, I did it the other way around, where in little increments, you know, I would we could we get twenty thousand dollars, fifty thousand dollars. Then the next thing was like a hundred thousand dollars. Like we would just get enough and like keep going, go back to building and go back to building because at every point we were, we were say we would say, oh, if I could just get this, I could build this and show people and show people and show people. Um, and we did actually get stuck in that little bit of that part pattern for the, you know, for the large part of Lilu's, uh, um, inception. Um, and that makes it really hard to build things, but it also, we were able to, because we're scrappy, because we're very hands-on, um, uh, like my, 
a lot of people don't believe it, but my co-founder and I, like, we built the first prototypes. I mean, we we literally were like soldering them by hand and like 3D printing things. And uh, now that I think about it, it's like that was crazy, right? Uh, but I learned so much, and also it's like what hindsight is 2020, and you learn that way, right? I do remember talking to many founders that told me like, you guys have to go out there and ask for a big big raise. Um, and every time I did that, I would hear no, I would hear no. And I was like, well, I can't do this, but I know how to get, or I don't know how to get small amounts, but I think I can do that. Uh, now I know better, right? And I, I would also be that founder to give people feedback, go and ask, you know, for like $5 million to begin with. Um, but you don't know until you try it, right? Um, I, I had to do, I, again, I don't think I would have changed how I started Lilu. But now with experience, I would I would start it differently. <laughs> I, think, I think it's really chicken and egg, though, isn't it? Because actually, if you haven't got an MVP, uh, you know that that actually kind of is looks like works like prototype, or you you haven't, you know, many investment scenarios require you to already have an active P and L. If you haven't got that, then you know if you're looking for seed funding, then the options are significantly reduced. And, you know, and actually also, I think even that's changed quite significantly probably in the last two years. So when, you you know, three years when you were doing this, it was, you know, finding investment in, in the terms that you were looking for was like finding hen's teeth, really. It was nigh on impossible. So yeah. I think, I think you know, it's always easy, isn't it, to kind of look back and go, oh, I would have done that differently. But actually, you know, I think it, it certainly sounds like you did what you could in the situation that you were in and, and that, that ambition kept you and drive kept you moving forward. So it's, um, yeah, it's, I think it's hugely impressive myself. And <laughs> tell us, tell us what, what, you know, what was the kind of, what was the biggest challenge, I guess, through that process? And, and also what was, have you got a moment that, you know, a really big win that you, you still kind of think about and it brings a smile to your face? Yeah, um, I would say, I mean, really the biggest win, uh, I, I remember being um, a manufacturer abroad and I remember being there with my co-founder and then an amazing person that we met who helped us uh, make the design a little bit, you know, like nicer. <laughs> uh, and we were, the three of us were there in, at the assembly line, like when we first kicked off the first production run and just seeing, the product that I remember, you know, first like sketching and then, you know, building with like molds, like, and, and just prototyping in this like basement, you know, uh, seeing it come to life was incredible. And also seeing how everything we do has an impact all throughout the world. Like, I mean, I remember seeing the women at the assembly line putting it together. And I mean, I just felt like, wow, like this, and not only for my product, but like, every product and a lot of the things that we use right somebody designed it somebody built it so the raw materials came so I feel like this like I'm all at how the world is like so incredibly connected um that's what keeps us going when when it's in the hands of like a new mom that's been really struggling with her milk production about to quit breastfeeding and the product makes a huge difference um I mean that for us right is is like the best thing we can hear like it's like that's why we do it that's when all the sacrifices and hard moments are are absolutely worth it. Um, so that's um, that's kind of again like the, the big moments. Uh, really hard moments. I feel like there's been so many. Um, 
depending on when you, you know, what, whether you ask me, but some days it's like building the team. Obviously we've had like amazing teammates that um, kind of had, had to leave, right? Because more than anything, it's been the, the anxiety that like having a startup causes and that not knowing what tomorrow, one week or one month, like down the line, things are going to look like not everybody can, can live like that. And I understand it. So we've, kind of have to part ways with multiple um, great colleagues and teammates because, you know, I mean, the risk is inherent in everything we're doing. So that's been a painful journey because, I mean, right, it feels sometimes like, oh, wow, like we're here like alone, like left alone doing this, right? And, and how are we going to, you know, how are we going to overcome like losing this like great person or something like that? The other thing is, I mean, we we'll probably hear it from so many of the people you talk to in the podcast, but like fundraising, and sometimes I try, you know, not to go down the negative route and see like all the positive things because we are very lucky. Like I'm a, I'm a Mexican immigrant in the U.S., right? Obviously, thankfully, I mean, I don't come from like a rich family and I really admire all the work my parents did, but I do have a great education. Um, and I know that alone opens doors. But um, when we look at the stats of like how many Latina founders, you know, are able to fundraise, uh, not even like tens of millions that you need for a hardware company or hundreds of, you know, like we're talking less, less than a hundred Latina founders in the U S that have raised over 1 million. That mm. is nothing compared, mm. you know, to like all the VC and P like P dollars out there. Um, and I do think that, I mean, under understanding how the VC world works, um, I understand why some companies get funded and others don't. However, uh, I do think that many businesses that get started out there, for instance, like Lilo, right? Yes, we started with one product, but of course that's not the vision. The vision is to build a whole brand, right? And and I do think we're very capable of like, you know, um, building that out. But we had to start with one product the hard way because that capital was not available to us. So I think that putting it into perspective and like now that I know the statistics, right, like less than 7% of women get fun, like funded, less than like anywhere, depending who you ask, like one to 3% of diverse funders get funded. And again, that intersection is microscopic. So knowing that we had to go over like those hurdles, I think allows me to be like, okay, it was a, it's been a really hard journey. I can accept it for like, okay, it's, it's not only me, it's the world. There's like, you know, existing biases out there um and i got you know especially because we're doing hardware for women for maternal health latina like all of these things that combine into making it an incredibly difficult challenge to fundraise for you and so i'm you know i see both sides we're like i'm so grateful that we were able to get what we've gotten i also know that we've had to do so much more and work so much harder to get it because the odds were stacked against us so i hope that with Lilu, right, we can pave the way for others um, and make it a little bit easier for others. And then by sharing our story, I think I've, I I now talk to investors that had no idea that like Latina female founders don't get as much funding, right? And, you know, if we can share those stats and like ask people like, hey, question your, like, I know you're evaluating, you think you're evaluating Lilu on X, Y, and C, right? But there's probably this other bias here and just make sure, right, that like 
you're trying to as much as we can, right, to 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 put it on an equal equation when you're comparing to other businesses, right? Like where where I a white man, like would you maybe listen to this pitch differently? Um, so anyway, it's a it's it's a journey. That's one of the hard things, and one of the things that I think um, we're all learning about. And at least there's great conversations being had out there. I think many investors are open to the feedback. And I think it's a, it's a work that founders and funders are all um, you know, responsible for, for having and trying to have actionable like solutions, right? Because it's, it's an ongoing problem. And, and yeah. uh, how can we have better products for women, right? If we, if we can't fix that part. Totally. And actionable change. I read the other day that in terms of VC investors in the US, there's less than 10% women. And actually, when I heard that, I thought, oh, that sounds a bit high compared to what I would have imagined it to be. Because um, as you know, as we spoke about previously, when I went out fundraising in 2015, 2016, for our business, I did not meet, I went to um, 10 uh, VCs or PE houses, I did not meet a single woman in any of those, um, apart from the ones who brought me coffee and then left the room. So, um, as I said, that was six years ago. I'd like to think it's increased and there's a bit more focus on it now, but um, I'm really not seeing, you know, that significant shift, certainly not in the UK. Um, And... And I don't think you can underestimate the challenge or, um, or you know, the impact when you walk into a room, essentially looking for investment and nobody in that room looks like you. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think it, it's it's uh, interesting, right? Because, again, I, I, I grew up surrounded by a lot of men and I have a lot of, like, guy friends. And people, it's funny, I even have my graduation picture from MIT and uh, it's, like, these eight guys and me. You know, I had a blast. I guess it really took me a while to realize, like, oh, I'm different. <laughs> um, but then because fundraising has been so difficult, and I remember seeing this, uh, I think, on a TechCrunch, um, um, an article by this uh, female founder, and she was she has a male co-founder. And she was saying how, like, I mean, his her male co-founder is on, like, messaging, like, text messaging uh uh, terms with many of their investors but she isn't right and I was thinking like yeah like I I barely am and now that I have um I mean our first investors were men and, and I'm so grateful for them and they've been awesome and many of them you know we are on texting basis but it, it never occurred to me like I mean especially when I'm pitching and like to somebody new like I don't feel I can have that sort of rapport and I was like wow this makes a huge difference and now like last year I feel like I found I found my my people right. I mean, there's like amazing like like women investors, um, immigrant investors, like Latina investors, and it's like it is really different. Like with them, you know, I can have a good time. I I don't feel like there's this disproportionate like um, equal like dynamic, right? I I mean, there's there, there's of course a lot of respect, right? But I did always feel, and again now that I again know better, it's like. I did always feel like there was this large, like I can pronounce it, but chasm or chasm between, right? Like sometimes when I would be pitching and I I never kind of realized why do I feel so uncomfortable um, 
And I, I think it's all of this. And I, I couldn't, I thought at the beginning, again, because it was such a new experience for me, where, like, again, here, here I am, like, thinking, again, not caring about gender, which is, the ter- I mean, it's so funny for me to say as a, like, female founder for women's health products, but literally six or seven years ago, like, again, I didn't think of myself any different than the engineer, designer, men's in my life, right? So now I know there's a huge difference. And it's a pity, right? I wish I could go back to that like naive Adriana where I I really didn't think, you know, there was a difference. Uh, and now that I know, but at least because I had to like experience it over and over and over again, whenever I would be pitching, whenever like, like I, I had so many, like I've had men, not only investors, but like C-level executives of like multinational retail chains make fun of the Lilu packaging because I had a mom breastfeeding there. Like in my, you know, in public, in my face. And I was like, there's all these things that like, whoa, like, you know, now I also wish I I could just go back to those times and like stand my ground and say like, what is funny about this? You know, like, you know, there's nothing more natural than like, you know, a woman providing nourishment for her child. So <laughs> I've become, I'm trying to channel all this. I would call it like frustration, sadness, anger into something positive because it has been a really, really hard like um, journey in terms of like uncovering all of that and, and realizing that as much as I didn't want to be like a person like carrying the flag for female founders and maternal health issues, I just wanted to be a great product designer. Uh, but it is part of my, you know, like my my flag to carry and again if I can make it a little bit easier for the next founder out there I'll do that absolutely and there is I feel that there's a responsibility you know to talk about it it's not really a choice so much it's it's a responsibility as you say to try and make it easier for for people who follow and to challenge where you do see those really archaic attitudes or just you just think my god you know grow up (laughs) seriously tell us tell us what what you would tell your younger self now, Edna, if you if you you know went back to say 2016, 2017, what would you tell yourself? Um, I again, I would tell myself to fundraise more and to you know be uh, not that I wasn't bold. I think in fact we were so bold, right? Again, to to go out with this idea and and create it. But I would say. Um, I didn't realize how people measure like your vision and your ambition by as a founder and by how much you're asking for when you fundraise. Because again, I'm a doer and I'm a problem solver. So I thought, I actually thought it was better, right? To ask for less and do more uh, than the other. I'm not saying ask for more and do less, but like, you know, Go out there, go out with it because people will treat you and think of you and your business differently. Um, and it's not only for fundraising, I think for other people and listeners to the podcast, but like I think another example in life is like for your career advancement. Um, I learned this from a friend, I've learned this like from founders and other people I've heard speak, but the the currency of willow has a great uh a video um either on youtube or on her linkedin about her career trajectory and she said something like 
well, I always, whenever I was like in my different uh, roles, I would tell people, I would seek mentors and advisors or sponsors, right? And I would tell them, one day I will be CEO of a large company. Would you mentor me? Would you like, I just loved how she was like, she just put it out there first. And Mm -hmm. then two things, people generally, I do think want to help. And then the people that maybe don't want to help or are you like jealous, but they will also then treat you with more caution because they're like, just in case you do become that person that you say you will, I don't want to be the person that turned my my back on you, right? Or that, um, so I kind of like translate that also to the like the fundraising world. Like, go and you know make that bold ask, you know, and you're still gonna get no's, right? But you're gonna get no's anyway. If you're asking for too little, you're gonna get a no. So you might as well get a no for a big amount. <laughs> like, um, it's much easier said than done. Um, and, uh, <laughs> but I would say, I guess the other thing, one thing that I've been very lucky and grateful for is like, we have an amazing group of advisors. It's probably the strongest thing that like Lilu has built our network. And, um, I would advise any, any, anyone to like build out that network, uh, make sure you have people that you can go to when things are difficult when things are good, you know, um, and uh, you'll be surprised by how many people um, and the caliber, you know, and the experience that they have that they can that they can offer you. I think you're right. I mean, so many brilliant nuggets of wisdom there. I think people are generally willing often to help and to give support and advice and sometimes hopefully money as well. Um, towards people's visions and dreams and and particularly when they can see um, you know a product as brilliant as Lulu so um, it's I think it's an incredible product I wish it I wish it had been around when I needed it and um, but now if you could you just share with us Adriana in terms of um, for people listening if they wanted to find more out about Lulu or reach out to you what would be the best way to do that Sure. Um, so all of our social handles are at Wordlilu, also our website, wordlilu.com. Um, we currently, in terms of uh, where we sell the product, it's mostly in the U.S., but we do have um, for uh, certain European countries. Um, you can find us with a distribution partner called Mi Primer Latido, but they raise in Spain, but they do sell around uh, the rest of Europe. And uh, also in Singapore and Australia uh, through an amazing company that if you don't know them already, maybe reach out to them called Fermata. They're building a women's health marketplace in Asia. Uh, But all of this you can find out through our website or if you message us on Instagram, LinkedIn, Twitter, uh, you can always always reach us. Uh, And then to connect with me, um, you can always reach out on LinkedIn, send a message and... um, if I don't get to it right away, I will get to it <laughs> soon. <laughs> Thank you so much for telling us a bit about your journey and and some there's some brilliant advice and um, thought prov- provocations there as well. So thank you so much for joining us today. Um, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you enjoyed listening, please rate, review, and subscribe, and keep your eyes peeled for our next episode. 